0: So today's stuff is Ayin Vav, very excited, we're going to finish Masechet of Odazara, nice to have a nice crowd. on Tani B'chowot. Okay, we're starting from the fourth line of Ayin Vav Aleph, Rame La Rav Amram L'Rav I Okay, there's a sheet to go along if you have it, it all charts out things, just pass the extra copies down that way. Okay, Bramilei, we're at the end of the Masechet, we're dealing with, um, we talked about this yesterday, how relevant it is, the end of the Masechet talks about koshering utensils, which is very relevant to Pesach, uh, maybe by today it might be a little too late, but you are still have a little time. Rami Amram Rav So he brings up a contradiction from our Mishnah, which mentioned, we'll see in a second, our Mishnah said, If you have a shipud, a spit, or the grate that you grill things on, which are directly in contact with the fire, so you have to blow towards them in order to kosher them. Doesn't it say when it comes to kodshim? which are things used for sacrifices, all the utensils they use for sacrifices. It says, HaShipuv B'HaAskala Mag'ilan B'Chamim. So there it says, when you have the the Askala, after using it for Kodshim, if you want to use it for something else, you have to do Hag'ala, which is basically boiling it in water. So how does it say in our Mishnah, Malab ba'or, and in the other Mishnah, that you do Hag'ala. So you're going to see here, there is one, two, three, four, four, Six different answers given, that's all on the chart, and each one has a problem with it except for the last two. Um, so we're going to go through the different answers. Amram leh, Rav Amram Ma Inyan, so, um, sorry, Amram Le. Rav Amram, Amram asked Rav Sheshet, so he says to me, Amram bireh, Amram my son, ma'inyan kochum etzil gihu lehav why are you comparing kodshim to ovdeh kochavim? First of all, if you think about it, right, and maybe this is part of the concept of the masechet's ending with, they're polar opposites in essence, right? One is used for holy, you know, holy um, sacrifices and the Avodah Zarah is used for really the exact opposite, right? We've been talking all about Yei and things they offered as libations to their gods, which we think are, are um, you know, not, non-hevel we call them, they're nothing. So, how could you be comparing these two things? Haha heterabala, ha tam is surabala. When it comes to of dekochavim, if or the whatever the pot was and it, the food was boiling in it, it it swallowed up is isur stuff. And the carbon swallowed up heter. Now, what's the issue with the carbon? The issue with the carbon is after it was used for cutchim, it now has the carbon absorbed into it. When you cook your item in it, next day, two days later, three days later, what happens? Depending on which korban, we're going to learn soon, but there's what's called notar, which is everything you, when you bring a korban, it has to be eaten either within that day and night, which is the chatat, or the shlemen has to be eaten within the next day. So if it swallows it and then spits it out later, past that time, then it's what's called notar, which is not allowed to be eaten. So you now have, it becomes forbidden. It starts off heter, and it ends up asur. So the first Question they asked, well, it swallowed it up. It was mutar, whereas the Avodazar swallowed it up and it was asur. So, like I said, I think it's a it's a good answer in terms of okay, this Heter, this istur. But I think what's really going on is that they're talking about these are two polar opposite things, um, and also in a theoretical way in, a, in an abstract in way. So now, what do we have? Amarava, um, sof, sof, ki palati, sura kapali. But Rava says that's not a good answer because, in the end, when it spits the food back out into your food, it becomes notar, it's a sore. And you've in both cases, you have something that's a sore. Even though it swallowed it, when it spits it out, it's all going to be a And therefore, I don't think that that's a good comparison. Ella Amarava, my hagalanami, shtifa omerika. Rav says very simply, hagala is not what you think of as hagala. When it says hagala, it doesn't mean hagala, even though that's what it says. What it means is, and why does he have the flexibility to say this? Because it doesn't make any sense that it should do hagala. So he says it must mean shdifa mirikah. Shdifa mirikah is a chiyuv that you have after you use a korban. If, if there's a kli, a kli charis that was used for a korban, if you had a kachim in it, it has to be, has to be destroyed. Ishaver. But if it was a clematechit, a metal implement, then you have to do what's called Shtifao Mirika, which sounds like some sort of washing out. Okay? There's actually a machloket by Shiva Marika in Swahim about whether it's with cold and with hot. Okay, we're gonna see that some people say the Marika is actually hot. Which would then match that it's hagala, but we're going to see in a minute that Abaye says Amar Abaye midami marika Shtifa in hagala b'chamim. How could you say? And he's saying this because the context of the Mishnah there, which we're not going to get into today, but the context of the Mishnah there makes it clear that, that, that the opinion that Mishnah was holding by was that it's bitzonen with cold liquids, and therefore he said, how could you call it hagala? Hagala means boiling, and shtifa marika is clearly cold. Again, at least according to that Mishnah there. So therefore, El Amar Abaye, and he quotes a Pasuk from Eov, taking it totally out of context, Yagid Alavre'o, even though Eov is all about him and his friends, re'o here doesn't mean friends, but at least according to the Muslim him. however, the, this is taken out of context, and the word uses this term a bunch of times, which means Yagid Alavre'o, meaning his friend will tell about it, okay, his friend will shed light on it, meaning what? What's he saying? That really they need Libun and Hagala. And one says Libun, one says Hagala. And you're supposed to learn from each one to the other that you need Libun and Hagala. Now why you would need both is a good question. But anyway, Rava questions him, not by that, but he says, One of the places should say both. The The other one should say one of them. In other words, if you wanted, what was the idea? The Tano wants to shorten and not write things in such a long, lengthy manner. So one place, it should say both. The other place should say one. And We know that when it says that one, it means really both from the other place. Again, it's a strange way of learning something because one's in one place, one's in another place, and how you would know that you would be learning from one to the other is also difficult. Again, you have to remember, this is a classic case where there's two sources that just don't really go together, and they're co- trying to come up with possibilities about how we can work them in together. And if there was a good answer, it would have been obvious, and we wouldn't need five different answers. Um Amar Rava. So Rava is now going to give a different answer. It's like Rav Nachman, as we said in the name of Rav Baravua, Da Amar, kol yom v'yom when you're doing the coaching, the assumption was they were working every day. They were bringing sacrifices every day. So every day they would use the spit. It would spit out yesterday's stuff. So it was constantly being, it was constantly having libun. So therefore, if you wanted to use it, you wouldn't have to do libun. Would, Hagalah would be sufficient because every day it would get spit out already from the libun. So you wouldn't need that. So they say, Tina shlamim. That makes sense for the korban shlamim. That only works if you say that this goes from day to day, right? So every one day they would do the shlamim. The next day, when they would cook the next korban, it would spit out what, whatever was in the shlamim. And at that point, it's heter, right? So they keep using it, and it's always in a heter manner. But chathat mitachle, since it's eaten during the day and that night only, by the next day when they use it, it already is spitting out iser. Ki haidna having notar. Okay, when you cook the chatat the next day, it's already notar and it's spitting out the notar. Ki elamachar, o o chatat kapalit. Right, so then when you're cooking it the next day, it's now spitting out both things. So, I'm sorry, did I skip here? One second. Uh, right, so then when you're cooking it, um, when you cook it the next day, right? you'll be spitting out the Chata from the day before. Uh, into the Chata and the Shlamim for the next day. So amrei lo tzricha, he says, no, the case I was really talking about was, and here he answers the question, (laughs) de kamavashalei cha tat haidna, ha demavashalei shlamim. It's a case where Rabbi says you cook chata in one day, then you cook the shlamim after it. So every day you cook chata, then shlamim. When you cook the shlamim, the chata already goes out. It's still the same day, so you're okay. Then the next day, right? Um, then the next day, you're basically going to end up with. The chatat and the Shlamim, you're going to basically cook khatat Shlamim every day, then khatat Shlamim the next day, then chatat Shlamim the next day, and you're always going to have, when the Shlamim is, comes out the next day, you're fine, because it can go out into the chatat the next morning, because the Shlamim can still be eaten. It's interesting, they say, They finish at the same time, they don't actually finish at the same time, because the chatat is done that night, and the Shlamim is done the following day, during the day. So even though the chatat now is extended... It's only, it's only till night they're not exactly equal, but for the, for these intents and purposes, it's basically the same. So then they say, but there's a better question. If you do the Libun every day, and this is probably, you were probably thinking about this, I don't know, but Hagala Nami Loli Bai, what do you need Hagalah for? If you're doing the Libun every day and it's all coming out, so what's the purpose of the Hagalah? So the Gemara ends with kasha. This is, in fact, difficult. Okay, interestingly, some of the out of the Gemara don't have this line, which is strange because this seems like a very basic question, and it's not clear what exactly the purposes of boiling it is for. Okay, that was answer number four. Okay, that was Rav's second answer. After Rabbi Anathia had his first one, he gave the second answer, which is the kol yom biyom. It does its own giyu. So we have hetera and isura were absorbed first. We said that's not good. Then we said hagala really means shtifa umarika, and it's just by khodshin. And then we had Abai who said that um, it's Hagalah and libum for both, which again you'd have to wonder why you need both. And Rabbah who says that the giul happens every that the that the um, every day it spits out its stuff, which then you have to wonder why you need hagalah. Okay. Um rapapa amar, high karid v'high high low karid. He says like this. What's the difference? We said that the chatat and the or the korbanot were used all the time. So, if they're used all the time, then the food doesn't actually get well absorbed into the clea. But the avodazara, the assumption is they weren't necessarily cooking in it every day. And therefore, it's kareed, it hardens inside. And because it hardens inside, you need a higher form of kashrang. Whereas the, the korbanot, which are constantly being used and they're therefore not getting so absorbed, you don't need such a high level kashrang. He goes back to the very beginning, and he says, let's go back to this answer of And what does he say? It doesn't concern me what you said. Um, he says, it doesn't bother me that you say, but in the end, when it spits out, it's spitting out Isur." And why does he say? Because When it spits it out, the is not actually there. That's what happens. The food gets absorbed into the Kli, but there's no food left. The khatat was actually eaten, right? You finish your, eating your khatat, there's just a little bit of taste in it, but there's no actual item. So therefore, when it spits it out, it's true it's spitting out Isur, but it's not the same as the Avodah Zarah. Now, there's the Avodah Zarah, it swallowed it when it was Asur, and it spit it out when it was Asur. Here, it swallowed it when it, when it was Heter, and when it spit it, when that when it, was when it was in actuality, there. When it spits it out, it's already not really there anymore, so therefore we can be more mekel with it. Okay, So we're basically looking at Kachim as, since it's swallowed up as heter, it's, we're going to be more mekel than the avodazera, which was swallowed up by Okay, And this actually, no one no one argues against. Both these last two answers didn't have anyone who questioned them. Okay, that's the end of our contradiction. V'a kama milabnan. How much libun do you have to do? Amar lemane. Ad shet Amar Rabbi Meni until a whole layer of it gets burned off. Vekeitzav magilan. How do you do hagala? Amar Rav Huna yorek katan betochi yorek na betochi You put a big pot, a small pot inside the big pot. Right? This is how we kasher. We take a big pot, the biggest pot we have. We put everything inside. And that's how we do it. Obviously, the next question is, Yoreg Dolamai, what do you do with a big pot? Okay, and here we're going to learn something I bet you've never learned before. Tashma duda. right? What do we do generally? We put water in, we put a rock inside, and it overflows, right? So here we're going to see a different solution. You could try it at home. Tashma duda have a of He had a big dude, a big pot. Ahadrale gadanfa delisha apuma. He put um, uh, a dough around the rim, okay. It seems to me, I was trying to envision this exactly. My assumption, what's the issue here? The issue is, how do you posture the rim? Because you can't get the, the stuff onto the rim. So, what did he do? He put around the edges of the pot the this. Outside. Uh, he made a very thick rim outside so that when the water started boiling over, it sat on the top for a little bit of time. Okay, And he filled it up with water, and he boiled it. What a brilliant guy he was, right? Who came up with this other than Rava Kavya? He was a great man. What's the logic here? Why don't you need to put it in a bigger pot? Why? How can you get away with it? Normally, food is cooked in there with water, so you have to cook it in water the same way it was cooked in water. But what did he say about the rim? The same way it swallows, that's how it spits out. so How did the rim even get the iser in it, whatever it was? Let's say it was not right here. It was bought from an Kochavim. How did it get non-kosher food in it? By... By what? By water spritzing on it. So therefore, if water spritzes on it rather than it cooks inside water, that's sufficient, okay? And that's how you deal with the rim. So what? how did we get to the rock from this sake and why don't we do this sake So a bunch of the Rishonim, I think I noticed a quote the name of the rivet, he said that we don't do this anymore. Instead, we just do the rock, which... Solve result, you know, it does and it in the same way, for right? If a kasher it's, dough, it's dough. going to be a little bit difficult to put dough. exactly. <laughs> Not so simple, right? There, obviously, they were talking about non-Jewish, non-Jewish, uh, anyway. Yes. Okay. The last thing in the Mishnah was hasakim. So hasakim shafa vhi You polish it. Okay. You kind of take a. There were two different ways of reading it. We didn't see it the other day, but I'll tell you now. Either you take a rock and you kind of um, smooth it out kind polishing, or even some people said you could use like a, a tzemer gefen, a cotton, wool. cotton wool, okay, like something abrasive that can get all the stuff off the sakin. The idea is to remove the fatty stuff that was on the knife. The assumption was it's probably for shrita, for an animal, or, or cutting meat had a lot of fatty stuff on it. And you have to put it in the ground. You've ever heard this with knives? You have to put it in the ground 10 times, Okay, now this is strange. If the Mishnah says you polish it, why does he all of a sudden say you have to do more than what the Mishnah says? So there's a big debate about this. Is this instead of, you can do either or? Okay, is this adding an option? Or did he somehow add some other possibility and you actually have to do both, even though the Mishnah clearly said you don't? So it seems like it's it's an option. You could do it 10 times in the karka. It has to be huna um, Hunabaret Rav Yoshua, but karka Sheena Avodah, Avodah, that it wasn't worked, meaning it has to be hard ground, okay? It can't be soft, because soft isn't going to do anything. It has to be hard. Then they say if you're going to do it 10 times, you have to do it in 10 different places, okay? Some people say three is sufficient. Okay. I don't know why they said ten if they said three is sufficient. Okay, but there's a debate about it. I'm a, life, right. kahana <laughs> <laughs> It has to be a flat knife and not a knife that has a jagged edge because then it won't be you know it won't come off. Tanya there's another writer to support this. no Okay, so here you have it again, It has to be where it doesn't have a jagged edge. This is only, if you want a kash or a knife, to eat something cold, okay? The idea being that if you just wash a knife, it's not going to get all the stuff off. Normally, you could do hadachat. If it was used for cold, you want to use it for cold. Um, even if it was used for hot and you want to use it for cold, you just have to clean it very well. But with a knife, it needs a higher level. Uh, But if it was actually cooked, if you want to use it for hot, then you have to do, some people say you even have to do libun for a knife because the knife is really, um, the the issue with the knife is always that when you push the knife into something, it really absorbs the flavors much more than other things. Um, Okay, nicely enough, the gemara ends with a nice, interesting story, I should say. Um, It's always nice when the end of the meseche has some story hi okay how do we know it's Le mm-hmm. because here was a case of Marjuhuda Uvate Bartuvi Havayatfe kamei de Malka. It's interesting we had another mistake that ended yes. with the Shavarmalka Shavarmalka was a Persian king presumably there were a whole bunch of Persian kings and they were all called the Shavarmalka and they often had good relations with the Jews there's an interesting story about him and interestingly enough we should end the second of Zara with, with Shavarmalka who's not a Jew. They were sitting before Shavar Malka, and he knew a lot of halachot. okay? Aitu lekamayu etrogah, okay? Interesting, why an etrog? Etrog, by the way, according to the way the freshman understands this, is considered sharp, okay? We didn't talk about this, but Lonions, onions, onions have, have this sharpness in them, so if you cut them, it takes out the flavors, and if there's no tam if it was already a day old, it, it brings them out again, it's mechadeh So he brought him an etrogah, pasak, he cut it, achal, okay? So he cuts the etrog and he eats it, he cuts a slice. Pasak, he slices another slice, and he gives it to Bate Bartuve, who is a Jew. Hadar Then he takes it and he puts it in the ground ten times. Here, the Shevrimalka knew the halacha, and he puts it in the ground ten times, just in time for the story. Um, he puts it in the ground ten times. And he gives it to Mar Yehuda. Okay, so what do we have here? You have the Shevrimalka sitting here with Bate Bartuve and Mar Mar Yehuda and you can tell by their names even, right? Clearly Mar Yehuda has got the right name and Bati his name is already a weird name it doesn't exactly sound like the most Jewish of names anyway, he eats what does he do? He slices the etrog, he eats a piece he slices the etrog, he gives to Bati Bartuve, and before he slices the etrog for Mar Yehuda, what does he do? He sticks it in the ground ten times and then slices for Mar Yehuda What, I'm not a Jew? Like, you treat me differently than you treat him? So listen to his answer. I know Rabbi Yehuda, and I know that he's not going to eat it unless I do this, but I know you, and I know you don't really care. Okay, that's the nice answer. Wait till you hear the second answer. Some people say that the answer was, I remember what you did last night. Okay, now what does that mean? So you can already kind of guess what that means. So apparently, according to Rashi, let's read Rashi's version. Okay, the idea was that if you were at a non-Jewish inn or they were hosting you, they would send you women at night. So he says, "I know what happened last night. I know that when I offered it to you, the woman, you took her. When I offered it to her Marihudi, he didn't. So that already was an indicator to me about how you keep, you know, your kashras, which is interesting. First of all, it connects between kashrut and and znud and you know that kind of stuff, which the Rambam, by the way, does in Sefer Kedusha Okay, he puts those two things together." Um, but it's terrible that he's judging. It's terrible Maybe. that he's and judging. Awful. And it reminds us of the story we saw earlier in the Masechet where we talked about how everyone was looking at everybody else and judging what they were doing based on that. So the story has a lot of interesting things about it. First of all, it shows, it's, if you're talking about a vodazara and people who aren't keeping mitzvot, right, it's, it's saying, well, sometimes what you see in this story is Shavar Malka clearly was up on all the halachot and the Jew was the one who was not necessarily doing things so right. And that there's a bit of a flip here, you know, and we started the Masechet and we really talked about how throughout this Masechet, there's this issue between on the one hand, you have non-Jews that we're concerned that they're, first of all, out to get us, they might want to kill us, They, you know, we want to keep away from intermarrying. On the other hand, all throughout the Masechet were these stories that talked about very positive stories about Avdeh Kochavim and how they have all these good aspects about them. And there's always a struggle, we talked about them, that there's always a struggle about how, how to interact with non-Jews. Yes, to be involved with them and we see tons of stories that they were doing business with them they were drinking wine with them even though and even in halachically acceptable ways and that the, the halakh is constantly trying to figure out what exactly is that correct balance and uh and interestingly enough the masechet ends with this story about you kind of have to look at who people are on the one hand you know, there could be a Jew who's maybe a little more like a non-Jew, and there could be a non-Jew who's maybe a little more like a Jew in terms of, you know, if we talk about our definitions, it's like Alana likes to say about men and women. They're, you know, she views herself as a... Alana's at the table, I can talk about. She views herself as a male as in terms of the, the way the Gemara talks about a male, a male someone who has property and who has intelligence. And, and that there's these concepts, like an Avodah but it doesn't necessarily mean that every Avodah falls into that, you know, every non-Jew falls into that category, and not necessarily every Jew falls into the category of not a idol worshiper. So... There's that, and uh, and that again, as Naomi said, I think the other theme coming up here is about judging people, and that you shouldn't judge people just because they look to you a certain way. Again, it connects with the whole non-Jewish issue, right? You might don't look at them and say, oh, you're non-Jews, and, you know anyway. So nice way to end the mesechet. Um food for thought. Okay. Hajjan alahna <laughs> Hanina bar papa Rami bar papa bar papa bar papa papa bar papa bar papa bar papa bar papa papa Na denial Henno at the de shme khab de retard bayta ed Hear itself and never denial of high, <laughs> Kasham, Shazatan the Latrim, Saimam, the Moraim, Leo Lazarish, Aloya Vizera Zari, the